Well, good late afternoon, everyone. I woke up this morning and thought, oh, I wonder what time it is. It was still dark. I've got a clock over here and a clock over here in my bedroom that light up, light up red. And all I saw was total darkness. <laughs> I somehow slept in. There was no noise. It was almost 8.30 when I woke up. I hate to admit it, but it's a winter. It's okay. But uh, at any rate, for those of you out on the phone line, if you didn't all hear Nelson's announcement at 1 o'clock, that we would have it at 3. Uh, Howard's been off here in this whole area since, what, about 8.17, I think someone said this morning. Maybe it was before that, but that's what I heard. And uh, finally got a report. Had a picture of transformers burning here in the game beds area. Uh, and they said it would be seven, eight hours or maybe longer, uh, before they could have it repaired. So, uh, Nelson and a crew went to work. Uh, I was going to just broadcast by cell phone and let everybody stay home and tune in. And uh, then we have Festival of Lights beginning, or Feast of Dedication beginning tonight. And... Uh, and talking with Nelson, he says, we can get things going enough to have services in the hall. Uh, so he and a bunch of guys got busy, and wow, not only do we have lights in here, oh, and I can turn mine on, wow. Uh, but we have heat, and they even got the pump over here near my house running, and got water in the hall. I was kind of concerned about... Tell them the mute your phone because we lost the internet. Uh, uh, Nelson says that everyone out on the phone should mute your phone. We lost the internet, so this isn't going out outside here. Uh, he has internet over at his second house, and he's been, uh, tuning in from there, but somehow we lost the connection, so they'll, they'll work at getting it back on. One of those things, you know, the, to me, it was interesting when I cogitated about the lights going out. Here we are starting the Festival of Lights tonight, and we had no light. Uh, very interesting to me. Plus, this is 924, spoken of in Haggai, and uh, perhaps Satan himself is disrupting things if he could, because it is an important day in Scripture and in our lives to come at some point. And uh, here the lights are out. Also in the Ukraine, Russia had a huge array of missiles thrown into that country, and there are millions of people today without power in the Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine keeps saying they've shot down nearly all the Russian missiles, but people are without power. <laughs> so uh, this whole thing is getting more interesting all the time. Zelensky's wife went to Paris to beg the French for more money for the war effort. They, they need more money to fight this war with Russia. And after she finished her plea for money, she went on a one-hour shopping spree and spent 40,000 euros in an hour. Uh, sounds like that Marcos lady, Imelda Marcos over in the Philippines that had houses worth of shoes. <laughs> you know, things are bad here. Uh, please send us more money to fight a war. 
Uh, I've got a date at the mall. What a bunch of hypocritical, upside-down people trying to run this world. It's so sad. But here we are. Uh, on another note, a sad one for us. I'm sure word's gotten around pretty much by now, but uh, Libby Schaefer died two or three days ago. And, uh, pardon? Tuesday morning it was. Uh, Dennis reported that they had both been sick and had gotten pretty much over it, gotten well, and then she kind of got sick again, and they were just talking uh, about the situation, and she says, I think I'm going to lick this, I think I'll be okay. And as they talked, she just slipped away. It was gone, just like that. No pain, apparently, no anything, except she just went to sleep, which is a nice way to go if you got to go. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure a lot of us are remembering Dennis in our prayers. He has to go on, just as we do, and she's run her race, and at least in my opinion, successfully. God is the judge, of course, but uh, I thought a lot of Libby and Dennis... But here's a card uh, that I'm going to put here for people to sign, and, and I'll send it to Dennis probably Monday to give him our condolences and wish him well. You know, we are overall as a worldwide derivative getting pretty old. There are people who have some sense, like some of the younger ones here from family and whatnot, but uh, for the most part, the church is getting pretty old, and these things have to happen pretty fast for there to be old men around who saw worldwide at its strongest, and the new temple at its strongest, speaking of the spiritual temple, the people, uh, and I think even the physical temple that was built in Pasadena will be surpassed in some ways. Uh, because God does things in a marvelous way. So just how that will be, I do not know. It took longer to build the one, I think, in Pasadena than it will to build the one here in the end time. Uh, I was there at the groundbreaking in Pasadena when they brought the golden shovel out, started construction. I went all the way in from San Bernardino to be there. And uh, it took a while, but we'll only have... Seventy weeks to build, I think, the temple and Jerusalem. Certainly, Jerusalem, it says. Seventy weeks, and that's it. Uh, but I think they'll probably be built at the same time together. I don't know that. Looking at how long time has gone on and how little time there is left, I suspect it'll be at the same time. And then, obviously, the temple will be there because the false prophet will defile it. And that is when we have the signal to flee desire. So, a lot of things coming. I better get back to 9.24 and talk about it. But I want to start uh, where we left off in Isaiah 29, because it fits very well with what I'll have to say afterward. I don't want to spend much time in this chapter. I want to spend most of it uh, with other things that appertain to it, if you will. 
Here he says, woe to Ariel, to Ariel. Emphasizes it, says it twice. The city where David dwelt. So it's a reference to Jerusalem, uh, where David dwelt. Add you year to year, let them kill sacrifices. And in the Hebrew, and in other translations, this is more like, let the feast festivals come around. Let the cycle continue. Uh, bring those year after year. Uh, let's see, several translations put it, let the feast cycle come around. So it's speaking of the years as a cycle through the feasts. He says, yet I will distress Ariel. Now, Jerusalem, of course, back then represented all the tribes uh, of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. The others were represented by Ephraim primarily. Uh, but speaking of all of them together, because Jerusalem ultimately uh, is the capital of all the tribes, not just the split tribes as they've been, but all of them when they come together again. So it says, I will distress, if you will, Israel, all of it. And there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. Now, if you look Ariel up in the concordance, it comes from a word meaning young lion, and the root word, a vicious young lion, if you put it together. So he's going to be to the tribes of Israel, here at the end, like a young lion, viciously tearing them apart. That's the sense of the context here, and that's why it says, Whoa, it's going to be a terrible time. And I will camp against you round about and lay seeds against you with a mount, and I will raise forts against you. So we know from other scriptures, many nations are going to come against the Israelites, and they are doing that even as we speak. There was another big meeting between the Arabs and the Chinese to solidify their new alliance, which will help destroy the dollar. And you shall be brought down, and shall speak out of the ground, and your speech shall be low out of the dust. Not much to say, and no power to say it. And your voice shall be as one that has a familiar spirit out of the ground, and your speech shall whisper out of the dust. Uh, demons tend to do that at times. They mumble and they mutter and sometimes are almost unintelligible, not always, but often, uh, and hard to understand. So he's comparing it to that, just something up out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of your strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passes away. It'll just blow through you, in other words, like dust or chaff. Uh, nothing to slow it down. It's, it's coming. Yes, it shall be at an instant suddenly. It's going to come very quickly when it finally comes. It's been building up. We're seeing it on the horizon. I remember seeing dust storms coming when I was a kid in West Texas. And from way off in the distance, you could see this red looked like a cloud that came from the ground up pretty high. And boy, you knew you were in for it. 
as you can see it coming like we see it coming today on our nation. And then, boy, when it hits, it hits in an instant. Uh, I remember walking to the house for milking the cows and the goats. And I had a bucket of milk. And halfway to the house, that sandstorm hit. And by the time I got to the house and then strained the milk, there was a layer of sand in the bottom of the bucket that thick. That's how thick it blows and how quickly it can hit. Because it's coming on that wind as that front comes in, and you can't stop it, and it blows right through you. And that stings, it hurts. Anyway, just a little thing out of my experience uh, that this sounds like. <clears throat> you shall be visited of the eternal of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. So it sounds like heavy destruction here. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Jerusalem or Israel, even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It'll be like you're in bed dreaming and you have this horrible nightmare. And it it seems so real and yet it seems not so real. Surreal, if you will. It, it shall even be as when a hungry man dreams and behold, in the dream he eats. But he awakes and his soul is empty. Or as when a, ma a thirsty man dreams. And behold, he drinks, but he wakes, and behold, he is faint. And his soul has appetite, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So they're going to give you this feeling that it's like you're dreaming, and hey, I'm fed and I'm watered, and then you wake up to reality and it ain't real. You don't have food and you don't have water. So he says, stay yourselves and wonder. Cry you out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. So food or water you think you have? No. But you're staggering around stupidly, not knowing what's really going on or what to do about it. But it isn't alcohol. It's the conditions as we are invaded. For well, the Eternal has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and has closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, has he covered. Now, whether that be in the nation, or whether it be in the church, or both, and I think it's both, uh, it's the same thing. They don't understand. They don't grasp. They don't get it. Most Americans don't get it today, even as it's rising up before us. I saw another article about how our own government is planning on introducing a replacement dollar. And then, of course, they're going to digitize it, and we're going to have the mark of the beast. It's coming. It's almost upon us, and yet people, oh, I don't know what's going on, have not a clue. What it says right here. Now, we've read scriptures where it says that God does nothing, but he warns through his servants the prophets. And, of course, all these prophecies have been here all this time, but they don't get it. They don't understand it. We're going to read that here in about two verses. 
that says that very thing. They just don't get it. And I think that Herbert Armstrong's warning years and years ago was him at least beginning to explain and understand that we were a sinful nation and that we were going to go down. And the church would have to be taken out and protected. He didn't know where. He had that wrong. But he knew it had to happen because that's what the Scriptures say. But he gave somewhat of a warning to this nation. Even Garner Ted did. Uh, he talked a lot about evolution and that there really is a God. But they didn't even get that. He tried to prove to the nation that there really is a living God. This didn't just happen on its own. But even that message they didn't get and understand. And they weren't about to change anything. So I think God was true to his word in giving this nation a border-to-border -border warning over radio and television day in and day out. As we sit here today, unless you have a memory of that, you just can't grasp it. I've driven across this nation from coast to coast. North to south, east to west. And I could tune in the World Tomorrow broadcast almost any time of day, almost anywhere I was. It was blanketed. And in TV, it got pretty well blanketed. And even across in Europe and Australia particularly, in Canada, where Israelites are, it was a great witness even though it was not perhaps with the detail and the power that we understand it today as it's upon us. But they were still warned that they needed to turn to God and that there really was a God. And if they weren't going to listen even to that, then they weren't going to listen to anything else that God said. So I think in that sense, they did get a warning. And that was the warning primarily to Israel, even though it did go into some Gentile nations. And now the church hasn't had much warning. Herbert Armstrong warned the church a little bit. He knew, and he feared, that if he died, the church would come apart. And he told me that personally in 1983, the last time I was in a meeting with him. That was a personal meeting. 1983. He says, go on in the office. I'm going to go in the bathroom here and take some pills for my heart. He says, I probably, I know I probably shouldn't be taking these things, but he says, I'm afraid that if I die, the church is going to fall apart. And he expressed that uh, from the pulpit before he died, that the church was in danger, and he was scared to death to appoint anybody as his successor because he knew they couldn't do the job. God had appointed him. And he was the only one who had been trained and qualified by God and given the power by God to get the job done. The only one. And he realized there wasn't anybody else there who could do it. And he went over that list with me. I met with him two times, 1981 and 1983. And in that 1981 meeting, he sat there and named all the evangelists and said, he can't do it, he can't do it, he can't do it. And Joe DeCotz was the only other guy there, sitting in a chair beside him. He said, and Joe can't do it. And he couldn't. 
But he warned to some degree the church that trouble would come. Even though he didn't know really in what form, what come it did. And then we've been warning the church in more detail of what is coming and what did come and why, and why it's continued, and nobody wants to listen. It's on the Internet. They can tune in at any time they want to, and they can hear it. But I'm this crazy guy out in the desert saying that the promised land's here, and the Passover isn't being kept right, and a few choice things like that, and uh, nobody's going to listen to that. I have proved it true. You have proved it true. It's true. But nobody will listen. Nobody cares. If they hear it, they say, ah, that's just Henson out there in the desert. He's been in the sun too much. Uh, gone crazy. You know, I thought of that of a guy that was out near Palm Springs when I was the pastor in San Bernardino in El Monte. He had a little acreage out there, maybe ten acres, I don't remember for sure. But he didn't have water. He didn't have power. Uh, Steve Hurd was his name. Uh, but he hauled water to about 15 or 20 scraggly fruit trees he'd planted. And he was the Elijah that was going to save the church. And he was going to do it with 15 or 20 scraggly trees that he was hauling water to. And I thought Steve had been kind of bleached by the sun. And he had. <laughs> but people think of me in the same way that I thought of Steve. For the most part. So they won't listen. God has closed their eyes. And didn't Christ say that himself to the people when he was here walking the earth? I speak in parables so they cannot understand. If they understood and disobeyed, I would have to destroy them. Therefore, I don't want them to understand until the time is right, and then they will be humbled and ready to listen and they can be saved. He knew precisely what he was doing. So he's saying the same thing back here that he said when he walked the earth. This is, he was kind of quoting this, really. <clears throat> God poured out a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes and your prophets and your rulers as he covered. The ministry in the church of God has no clue what is coming and why. They still think they're going to Petra, most of them, I think, unless they've come up with some other place by now. And the vision of all is to come to you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray you. And he said, I cannot, for it is sealed. <clears throat> so they, the people in the church today go to their minister in whatever group they're in, and say, what, what does this mean? They get an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, Daniel. They don't have a clue. They don't know what it means. They say, well, it's sealed up. I, I don't know. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this, I pray you. And he said, I am not learned. So the one that's supposed to know doesn't know, and the one who isn't supposed to know doesn't know either. Wherefore the Eternal said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, 
and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. <coughs> so he says, the church is out there, there's still groups that meet, they still try to do some kind of a work, and they use my name, but their heart is far from me. That's why he keeps telling us to worship him with our whole heart, not just go through the motions, not just give him lip service and do our own thing on the side. Can't do that. Mrs. Zelensky uses the names of the United Nations and the United States. And said, so give us money for we don't understand and we're being, we're dying over here. The Russians are winning. We must have your help. Thank you. I'm going shopping. Her heart's not in it. Her heart's in the money, obviously. The church is that way. They're just saying the things of men, not the things of God. Might quote a scripture here and there, but they say, they realize, they don't know what's going on. People ask and they can't find out. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this uh, people draw near me with their mouth and do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. In their view, they're going to see a marvelous work happen and some of them are going to respond positively. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. So he's going to be, do something out in the open that they can see and either respond or not respond to, and 90% won't, but 10% will. And what he does is going to blow away any understanding that any of these preachers in United or Philadelphia or, or any of them think they have is going to be blown away like a sandstorm, etc. Verse 15, Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark, and they say, Who sees us? Who knows us? God isn't paying attention. God's gone off. Here we are. We're just having to go by our own understanding and wisdom. Because I can see the ministry isn't being led to teach us what we need to know. So they're just fumbling around in the dark. They don't know where they're headed. That is a terrible feeling. I remember up in Alaska one time, we were camped at the head of a bay and uh, there were quite a few people who were coming back from Valdez and the oil cleanup effort. And we stopped to hunt deer uh, on an island, a big island. And uh, I wandered off before dark and uh, thought, well, maybe about dusk I'll get me a deer. And it got pitch black. No moon, no stars. It was dark. And there was some snow on the ground. And I'm wandering out there trying to figure out where the bay is and where the boat is. And I can't see. And I walk and I walk and I go round and round. Yeah. 
because I came upon these fresh tracks. Now, well, there's somebody's been out here. I'll just follow their tracks back to the boat. Well, they were my tracks. <laughs> I was going in circles, which I've read about and heard about. I was I was having a good time following my tracks. And uh, I finally found the beach, and then I could see the lights on the boats. So I went around the bay to the boat. But uh, when you're wandering around in the dark, you don't know where you're going. It's a it's a terrible feeling, really. And that's the way the whole church is right now. They're wandering in the dark and don't know which end is up. Who sees us? Who knows us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he has no understanding or had no understanding? You know, you got a pile of clay there, and you can plop it over. looks pretty much the same on this side as it did the other. You can plop it back and forth. But until somebody works with it and shapes it up, you don't know what you got there except a pile of clay. And people begin to question. They don't know what's going on. And they look, and they can't find... And a lot of people left the church, they've given up, they haven't endured, they've quit, because they couldn't see God's hand anywhere, and they're looking at the clay that's in a pile, let be the, the church itself, and not make any sense out of it. So they just wander back to the Catholic or the Protestant church or to no church, or, or just kind of going through the motions, and they don't even know God much anymore. Some of us have experienced that to some degree when we were left on our own out there with no place to go, no one really to listen to. You begin to revert. You begin to go backward. You can't grow because you aren't being watered and fed. So you begin to dry up a little bit. And then when you get back in contact and begin to get fed, then you can begin to grow. I noticed that even as a kid in West Texas because there were no congregations around. The nearest one was 500 miles away in Big Sandy, those early years. <clears throat> we had to drive there for the feast or for anything. But when you're out there alone, it's hard to keep things the way you really ought to keep them. To be stirred up and, and excited about things. It's, on your own, it's just tough. And then when you get connected to the vine... Do I hear John in there somewhere? The book of John. If you're connected to me, you grow. When you're away and you're not on the vine, you wither up. And that's what's happened to the church. It says in verse 17, Is, not, is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? So as the church is right now wandering around in the dark, he says it won't be long until Lebanon turns into a fruitful field. Uh, the word Lebanon uh, means turned fruitful again, or uh, white heart. Now the heart of the staircase monument 
is white. You've got red, then white, then pink. So the very heart of it is white. I think Lebanon was here. <laughs> I think Lebanon is still here. And it isn't long until this area is going to be recognized as the white heart of the church, or of what God is doing in his work. Now notice what it says right after that. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Go to Isaiah 35, five chapters on, and it talks about uh, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, uh, the blind seeing, and so on. And the context is just before Christ returns. And this context is as the church is still wandering around in the dark before Christ returns and before the nation is destroyed. It opened the chapter with, well, I'm going to destroy you. Hasn't happened yet. So this is in the time just preceding that, if you will. And here we sit today. We haven't been invaded yet, have we? So this isn't talking about the millennium. It's talking about when the invasion comes, or just before it. And the deaf will hear, and the blind will see. Because God is going to do a mighty and wonderful work, he just said, a marvelous work. The meek also shall increase their joy in the eternal, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Zephaniah says to flee away from the decree of uh, military invasion and the financial collapse. And it says, if you will be meek and humble, maybe the Eternal will deliver you. So he's using the same words here. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. And the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. Those that watch, wait, want iniquity. So those who think they're great will be brought to nothing. The scorner will be consumed. If you're meek and humble, God will protect. So the iniquity is cut off, uh, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a, sh a snare for him that reproves in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of nothing. Does that pretty well describe what's happening in Washington, D.C. right now? They make a man an offender for a word. They got the word police out. You say something on social media, and you get banned, get blocked. They want control of your words and your thoughts. And they lay a snare for him that reproves. If anybody raises their hand in the back row or on the front, at the front gate and says, wait a minute, this isn't right, they get put in jail or they get Clintonized or something happens to them. The scorner is consumed. And all that watch for iniquity are cut off. So those people in Washington who are doing this to us as we speak are going to be cut off. They made a deal with the devil. And the devil will kill them. They're not going to live through this. And God says even himself, if they go in a submarine or in a cave or they go up in a spacecraft, 
He'll find them. They're not going to make it. And we've already seen this happen in the church. The ones who thought they were important and could lead the people to truth and safety, they're nearly all dead now. Nearly all. Therefore, thus says the Eternal who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. So this isn't just to Jerusalem, it's to all Israel. Jacob shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. Now this means a small amount of Israelites or Jacobites will not be ashamed. Those who dwell in Zion, if you will. Now on a national basis, yeah, once the millennium comes and they are under the rule of Christ and following him, then they won't be ashamed. But the church, 10% of it, is the first group of Israelites that will not be ashamed. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. Can you imagine that referring to anybody but the faithful, the reformed Laodiceans who become Philadelphians? Can you imagine that referring to anybody else in the church? No. Now notice, they also that erred in spirit. We've seen a lot of different attitudes. And a lot of those attitudes over the last 36 years have been pretty bad, have they not? So they erred in spirit and attitude. Shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. So all the false doctrine and the things, even in worldwide, that we had wrong, they're going to be taught the truth. You go to Zechariah 4, which we'll do shortly, and you'll see that the two witnesses will be teaching and pouring out the oil of truth to all seven lamps, all seven churches, those who have repented and come together, they're going to be taught. They're going to learn true doctrine. Because we had some true and we had some false. And they've got to be brought back up to speed. And that's how God will do it. So, if their attitude was wrong and they didn't grasp true doctrine and poo-pooed it, they'll learn the truth. So, this starts out, woe to Jacob, the nation and the church. And it ends the chapter with a word of comfort that they will get it. It won't be closed anymore. It won't be shut off. The nation will be blown away in a sandstorm or a windstorm. But these who endure and who still seek God are going to be saved out of it. So let's stop there in Isaiah and go to Haggai 2 because this day, 924, is projected, I don't know this year, but some year at least. I've been expecting something to happen on this day for 26 or 7 years now, since 96, and I'm still hoping. And I don't know just when that hope will be fulfilled, but here it is. 
In Haggai, he's talking about uh, the two witnesses, Zerubbabel and Joshua, who he'll be training. And the book opens by saying, why haven't you built my temple? You've got your own homes, but where's mine? And nobody's built it. A lot of people, a lot of church people, are expecting the Jews to build it. When do you think they're going to get their ducks lined up? They're still looking for a red heifer without a white or black hair. They've been doing that now for generations and generations, and they haven't found one yet. And uh, it doesn't appear there are any on the horizon. A lot of red cows around, but not any that don't have any other color in their hair. Besides that, we know Christ divorced the Jews there in Matthew 23 and said, I'll have nothing more to do with you until you accept me and the ones I sent. And they haven't accepted him or the apostles or the true church ever since. And aren't any better today than they were back then. They're probably worse if that's possible. God is not going to use them to build a temple in a false Jerusalem. He's going to use his faithful people to come to the true promised land and build it in the original site that it was built. And that's out here. Anybody that listens to this tape just flipped it off. Because they're not about to buy that. Everybody knows it's over in the Middle East. For crying out loud, don't even bring that up. Their eyes are blinded. And totally blind. Wandering around in the dark like drunks. But in Haggai, he says it's going to happen. And he gives dates that certain things happen. But the one that sticks out in prominence is in chapter 2, uh, where he mentions, let's see, in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. We already know from Isaiah 44 and 45, he's going to bring out the gold and the silver and the treasures of the temple and the mats and perhaps the graves of the prophets, and I know where that place is. But the silver is his and the gold is his. <clears throat> He's going to use it to show that he is God, he says there in Jeremiah, I mean Isaiah 45. And then when the temple is built, he's going to let the heathen, the Gentile nations, come in and defile that, as Daniel 9 points out very clearly. And then it shows there in Daniel 11, the end of it, that these unrighteous men are going to take over the silver and the gold, and they're going to take over the holy mountain of God. And they're going to be allowed to rule there for three and a half years, 42 months, the times of the Gentiles, until Christ cuts them short with his return. So we know this is going to happen. So he's telling us about that right here. Gold and silver is mine. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the Eternal. And in this place will I give peace, says the Eternal of hosts. There's not much peace in the church today. Most people don't have much peace. I hope you have some in understanding what's coming and you have hope and some peace of mind in understanding what's about to happen and that we can be on the good end of it. So then in verse 10 he says, In the 24th day of the ninth month, which today is on God's calendar, uh, 
In the second year of Darius, this is after the captivity was over, uh, Darius came in just uh, and took Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians out, and this is in two years since then. So it didn't happen immediately then, because this is speaking of the time then that Ezra and Nehemiah came over here and rebuilt uh, the temple and the wall of Jerusalem. And that was a couple years later when this is addressed, and then they finally got over here and, and got the job done. I think the 70 years has ended. I think it ended in 2017, and now this time has come, and we're seeing this nation going into nothingness. It's in confusion, and the deal is already made that Jeremiah 50 and 51 talk about. They've shaken, our people have shaken hands with these people who are coming in to invade us. And that's why we have Chinese and Russians coming in now and camping on the border, and why we're poking them. They've already got the deal made. Could Russia wipe out the Ukraine almost overnight? Yeah, but they're not. And the United States and NATO just keep pushing at them, pushing at them. We just set up uh, our troops 18, about 18 miles from the border of Russia and Estonia just today or yesterday. How close do you have to push? That's about like San Diego to Tijuana. Real close together. So we push, we push, we push. And things are going to get bad. And then we're probably going to have a leader killed or two. And we're going to go into civil war. And we are going to be so weakened by lack of power, lack of food. Another processing plant blew up just the other day. Three or four days ago. Uh, Pilgrim's Pride, I heard of that one. Uh, it burned. It's happening right here. We're going to see more power outages. Are you ready? <laughs> we got just a little foretaste today. Now, we do have some plans and already some equipment to take care of a longer outage, but it still makes you think a little bit when I don't have a gas stove. I wanted to put one in, but Marla really wanted an electric. So I have an old gas stove around. It can be hooked up pretty easy. But she had her electric the time she wanted it. But this morning, I had no way to even heat a cup of coffee. I need a little hot plate with a, or something or get a gas stove in. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a helpless feeling not to be able to just go in and do what you usually do. So it flushes once and it's over. You know, that's it. Better have a bucket of water around. I even heard some of us have buckets of water or jugs of water around. But if they're out on the back porch and frozen solid, they don't flush a toilet very well. You know what I mean? I'll tell you, somebody remind me about some little heaters you can get that are very efficient and will heat an awful lot. Maybe during potluck or something. I don't want to take time now. Anyway, on this day, 9th and 24th of that year, uh, God asked the question, Thus says the Eternal of Hosts, verse 11, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt touches bread or 
food, wine, oil, or any food, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No, it's holy. I mean, it's, it's holy flesh, but if it touches something, that doesn't change it. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body, some of the rituals of old, Touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So, the clean can't touch the unclean. That's like saying, Come out of this world, be not a partaker in it. Like Revelation 18 says, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her iniquities or her punishment. So it's, Ask the question here, and the time is as the two witnesses are coming on the scene, because this is this is talking to Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant people who are to be coming soon. And it says you can't touch the unclean. We've got to get away from this world. Isaiah 52, we may get to that shortly. It says, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. Don't touch the unclean. Get away from this world and the way it works. And then we have other scriptures that say, go to the wilderness and do this, even in Babylon. doesn't say go to the Middle East. doesn't say to go to the Philippines. Go to the desert, the wilderness, in Babylon. That's where we are. And don't touch the world. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Eternal, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So the same thing in Malachi. All the tables are filthy and unclean. So God's looking down at our nation and at the church, and he spewed us out because we were unclean, and he wants us to get cleaned up. That's been the point since the 90s when we began to be spewed apart. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, anyone who reads this, consider it. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the eternal. So he's saying this goes back a ways before a stone was laid. When was a stone laid in the latter temple? There hasn't been a physical rock laid yet. But I think, spiritually speaking, a foundation stone was laid somewhere by someone. And I think you know where and by whom. And it was in January of 1992. I'll give you that much. When a small group got together to form a church congregation. And it says there in Zechariah 4, which we may get to, that that man, Zerubbabel's hands laid the stone, and his hands will also finish it. Now that man, I think, I know who it is, and he is hovering very, very near death today at age 90. can hardly respond to that stroke. This thing needs to be soon. I don't know how soon. 
God can keep anybody alive as long as he wants to. But I think he showed who this is speaking of. And he's already laid the spiritual foundation, but the house isn't finished. The house isn't finished spiritually, and it hasn't even been begun physically, which I think it has to be. But he's speaking to those two and those who would be the remnant here. And he says, you've been unclean, so let's get clean. And then he describes what we've been going through, brethren. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to dry out fifty uh, vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, and milled you, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands, yet you turned not to me, says the Eternal. So, the churches that came out of worldwide, the groups, have all been trying to do something, and there's no harvest. There's nothing there. Well, I say, it says not nothing, but it says not what you expected. You expected each one of you to grow and be the Philadelphia church, and you were going to preach the gospel around the world, and you started printing magazines and getting broadcasts, and nothing's happened. <laughs> you expected a big harvest. Nothing's happened. That's the way it's been since the early 90s till today. And we haven't produced any more than they have, have we? I understood these scriptures, though, and I haven't tried to do that. Because I know God said, don't do that. They should have been just measuring the church and leaving out the Gentile nations, as Revelation 11 verse 2 says. Measure the, the altar of them that worship there. It's the church that is the problem to God at the moment. And getting 10% to respond to Him with their heart. He'll deal with the next level when it's time to deal with all Israel whose heart has been turned from God and the millennium is beginning. Then he will deal with those. But the church is a spiritual entity and he has to deal with it first because they're the ones that he called many of and is choosing a few. Herbert Armstrong was used to call many now a few are being chosen. And this day, 924, represents the time when God begins to bless, if you will. Let's see that. <clears throat> Since those days were when nothing was working. Verse 18, consider now from this day and forward, or upward, 924 and on. From the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn, yet as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree has not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. So 924 marks the time in this prophecy of Haggai of the two witnesses and the uh, remnant church that he will begin to bless. Now, whether it's the actual day or not, 
it doesn't say, but it represents a day if it's not the day. He doesn't say. But it's fairly clear that 924 is important. And he will begin to bless. Because up to that point, we've not been blessed. The churches, whoever they were, have not been blessed in their effort to preach the gospel around the world as they thought they needed to do. And thought they were Philadelphian, and they weren't. They were Laodicean, just like us. And need to repent and turn to God with their whole heart. Laodiceanism was worldwide, church-wide. If you got stewed, then obviously you were Laodicean. And the whole church got stewed. And yet there are those who say, well, we were the only ones that weren't stewed. Come to me and you'll be fine. I have several words. Some of them are a little off color to say about that, but I won't. So consider that from this day and forward, when God begins to bless, then there will be progress. And then again the word of the Lord came to him on the same day and said, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. So that tells you right here, this is an ancient prophecy uh, that's already been fulfilled. This is about the end time when God begins to shake the earth, like we just read in Isaiah 24. <coughs> and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. He's saying this to Zerubbabel, the leader of the two witnesses. And God is going to use Zerubbabel to go against these heathen kingdoms, which will have taken over Jerusalem and the temple and defiled it. And from that moment on, for three and a half years, Zerubbabel is going to be a thorn in the flesh. And he is going to come against these kingdoms and shake them. And the two witnesses are going to bring plagues like the plagues of Egypt. And it is going to be a horrible time for them. And they're going to spend 24-7 trying to kill those two guys. And they can't do it until the last three and a half days. And God says, okay, kill them. Hey, here we go. And they do. And then they party for three and a half days. And then those two rise up off the ground in the streets of Jerusalem. And oh my. What a moment that'll be. They're not dead after all. And then things get worse even than that. So that's what this is talking about. He says to Zerubbabel in the last verse, I'll take you, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Eternal, will make you as a signet, a sign, a banner, a flag, who's leading the people of God for I have chosen you, says the Eternal of hosts. Gonna happen. Then you get into that. I'm almost done, aren't I? I said if we get there. You go on over. And we've been over this material many times. I said today, I, this has to come soon. Because Haggai and Zechariah 1 through 6 are almost all uh, tape in my Bible. Scotch tape. 
And now there's cracks between the pieces of Scott's tape. And it's getting hard to read these chapters because they're almost gone. So this has got to come soon. I won't be able to read this stuff. Well, I jest in part, but I think it's near. We see things happening in the world that we've read about over and over and still are, even today in Isaiah 29. And then we go on in, and I want to hit a little bit about us and when. I've had people ask me, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10, 5, a little bit 3, uh, isn't it time? Has, has God already unloosed this? Has He done that? Uh, where are the people? The time seems to me it's come. <coughs> I don't remember the exact questions, but things along that nature. And yet they forget that God tells us exactly when. You know, they get all worried. I see things happening in the world. There's things upon us. Hasn't the time come? Is it here? Is it here? Shall I call all my relatives and all of their dogs and cats and tell them you better get out here? Because it's time. This is happening. Now it's happening. No. And I point them to a couple of verses which tell them it isn't time yet. But they won't focus on those verses and understand what they say and believe them and follow them. They get all worried because they see this happen or that happen and they think the time is here. Woe is me. Don't, don't go to St. George and don't go to Houston. You've got to be right here. No. You've got to wait till those scriptures are fulfilled. And then there will be time. I'm going to take a few minutes and show you a couple of those. Let's read. Let's go to uh, Isaiah 52. This is a good, strong one. It says, the time isn't there until this happens. Okay? And he then tells you what to do. He tells the church to quit being walked on in the first part of Isaiah 52. Get up, shake yourself off, and don't let this world run over you, which is what they're trying to do more and more day by day as we go. Wear this mask. Don't go here. Don't go that. Stay in your house. Don't cough on anybody. Uh, don't write anything on the social media that we don't like. On and on it goes. They're drawing the noose tighter day by day. So he says, don't listen to them. Don't worry about it. Shake yourself off. And don't let them walk on you. They're going to come up with another disease very soon. And they're going to try to put us in lockdown again. And if they issue a new currency that's digital, and you can't buy or sell without it, and you can't go anywhere, and you can't travel... We'll stay home and eat what we've prepped with. Won't go anywhere. But the time has not come yet. And it won't come until certain things happen. You don't have to worry about it at all until these scriptures are fulfilled. Hello? The scripture tells you when. 
Let's go on down to verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him, that's one, not two, not three, that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that tells you things are going to be okay. Okay? That brings good tidings of good. Read these scriptures and tells you that if you'll obey God, everything will work out fine. That publishes salvation. And that if you do what's right, you'll be saved. That says to Zion, your God reigns. That is the critical part of the end time message. If there is a sovereign God in heaven and he reigns and he will do what he says. That's the whole basis of the gospel. From Herbert Armstrong till today. There really is a God. Even dead got that. Thy watch men. Now it said him in the first, in the verse above. Just one is going to give you this message. That's all. Thy watch men. Plural. We know that's two from other scriptures. Shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing. So, Zerubbabel and Joshua are going to come together. And then it tells us when. It says they'll agree with each other. They'll see eye to eye. Therefore, they can teach true doctrine to the people, as it says in Zechariah 4. For they shall see eye to eye. Can you read that? You can probably see it in here. They shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall bring again Zion, or turn things around and bless Zion, the church, again. He's had his face turned from us. He's had us skewed out. Those who are faithful and come to serve him with their heart, he's going to turn back to and begin to bless. You go to Isaiah 54, and it talks about all those blessings in 55, just down the road here. But it says when. So, this happens, that happens, something else happens, and you say, oh, it's time. And then you come to me and say, isn't it time? And I point you, and I pointed a lot of people, to verse 8. You don't have to worry about it until God begins to bless. He does his, what, signs and wonders of Zechariah 3? And reveals his arm, the branch, Zerubbabel. So until those signs have happened and people have been healed and the deaf can hear and the blind shall see and George will walk, until that happens, you don't have to be concerned about it. Because this stuff's not going to happen until that happens. Very plain in Scripture. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of the church. For the Eternal has comforted His people. He has redeemed us from Laodiceanism to Philadelphianism. What is saying? The Eternal has made bare His holy arm. That's Zerubbabel and Christ. In the eyes of all the nations. He says there in Isaiah 45, he's going to use the gold and the silver to show the whole world from east to west that he is God. says it right here. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. 
of him beginning to bless his people. Then he tells us, depart, go out from here, touch no unclean thing. Go you out of the midst of her, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. What's it going to be that causes the remnant to come? That's one of the things that people ask me. Well, isn't it time for them to come because that happened and that happened? No. Go back here. When God begins to do signs and wonders, Zechariah 3, and bear his holy arm by the gold and the silver that is going to show who God is, then he says, get away from the unclean. Revelation 18, depart from her that you be not part of her iniquity and her plagues. <laughs> so that's when the remnant's going to come. When in the little church, God does signs and wonders, and Zerubbabel shows up, and the two see eye to eye, when God begins to bless. They won't see eye to eye until God begins to do those signs and wonders. Just like Acts 2. The Holy Spirit came in tongues of fire, and wow, here we go into the new church. And even the shadow of the apostles caused people to be healed. The end time is going to be just as or more dramatic. And then it says, get away from it. And it says, verse 12, For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Eternal will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So God is going to do this in time for people to realize. They'll see and hear of the signs and wonders. And then they will begin to respond and they have time to get here. Go not in haste. Now Matthew 24 says, When they set up the abomination in the temple, don't go back for nothing. Just go. That's in haste. But this flight is not anywhere except to the place of safety, the promised land, the place of Zion and Jerusalem, southern Utah. In northern Arizona. That's where it is. And they will know to come because they see the miracles. And then they have time to get here. Let's quickly go to uh, Jeremiah 50. I've read these many times, but I wanted to emphasize this aspect of it. That there is time. You don't have to worry about it and say, Oh my, let's panic. My kids have got to get here. This is speaking of the latter days, verse 39 of chapter 49. God spoke against Babylon and says Babylon is taken, is going to fall. That's the United States in modern uh, prophecy. Verse 3, For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, <clears throat> which shall make her land desolate. I think that's... Russia is the spear leader of that, along with China and Iran and a whole bunch of nations that are going to come against us. And none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. <clears throat> Our people are going into captivity, and most are going to die. In those days, and in that time, says the Eternal, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah, to <coughs> that together, going and weeping, they shall go and seek the Eternal, their God. 
We're going to see signs and wonders. We're going to know where to go. So they're going to begin to come. And they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that direction. (coughs) Saying, come and let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual, that is an everlasting covenant, that shall not be forgotten. And then he explains who he's talking about. My people has been lost sheep. The shepherds have caused them to go astray. Jeremiah 23, Malachi, on and on it goes. That's happened. And it says, verse 8, Remove out of the middle of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flock, leading people to the right place. And it tells us in Malachi 4, to get out of the midst of Babylon, but go even to Babylon into the wilderness. So we stay in the same country, the USA, but go into the wilderness. That's very plain. And there is time to do it. For lo, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. A lot of nations. They're getting their Allies together right now through bricks and adding people to them, nations to them, as we speak. And two or three trying to join NATO and some trying to get out of it. We've had it. But the time for people to come is not yet. It's when God does the signs and wonders. It's when they see where God himself is working doing his marvelous work we read about in Isaiah 29 earlier. Now, let's see an element of time there and one more. I'll not go to Revelation 18 because it says there, it gives you time there. It says, get out of the middle of her, and the other scriptures say where to go, the wilderness, that you be not partakers of her sin, And he tells us that in Isaiah 52. Be clean, be clean, bear my vessels. Be not partaker of her sins or her plagues. So they get out just ahead of it. Just ahead of it. In all these scriptures. Not in the middle of it, but just ahead of it. And he says, don't be hasty, just do it. Once you see where to go and what to do, start toodling yourself that direction. Okay? Not in panic, not in haste. Just know the time has come because you've seen where God is doing a marvelous work. Now go there. So you have time to pet the kitty and to pack your backpack and to get an airline ticket or whatever you need and you can still get there. So we don't need to panic ahead of time. Nor do we we need to be worrying about it. Because he tells us in these scriptures how it will be. Let's go to one more, and that's in uh, Zephaniah. He begins Zephaniah by telling us that uh, he's going to destroy the gods of the nation. And he's going to send the Assyrian in against us and destroy us. And then in chapter 2, he begins to tell us to gather ourselves just after talking about the financial collapse in chapter 1. It talks about the military overtaking us and the financial collapse. Then he says, Gather yourselves together, you, yes, gather together, O nation, not desirable. 
God's people have not been desirable. So we need to be praying for forgiveness and mercy and redemption. Before the decree bring forth, before the day passes, the chaff, chaff in the wind, we just read in Isaiah 29, or sand, before the fierce anger of the eternal come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, flee ahead of that. Seek you the eternal, all you meek of the earth, which have worked his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. That's why we pray, I know I'm not worthy, but please count me worthy through the blood of Christ. That's our only hope. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and therefore we need mercy. I do, you do. But he tells us to come before this thing hits. Jeremiah tells us to come ahead of the northern army. He says, when you see the signs and wonders in Isaiah 52, come out of her, be clean, and come, but not in haste. Just get it done. So, these scriptures put together should comfort us. It should comfort us about our kids and our acquaintances and people we've known in the church years ago. That God is going to give them something to see so they can know where His wonderful work is being done. And He's going to show the whole world through the use of His silver and gold that He has buried, that He's going to crack open the mountain and show the whole world. And boy, are they going to want it. And God's going to give it to them. When they defile the temple, they'll have it all. And they'll think they're sitting in the catbird seat. And then He's going to turn the two witnesses loose on them and give them grief and misery and suffering. But we'll be in a place of safety in Zion if we have done what God has told us to do. And he says there in Haggai, he will stir them. It's not my job to stir my kids to come. If I tell them to come today, they'll say to what? I don't see God working there. And they don't. They don't see the kind of work he's talking about here. With the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the lame walking. They don't see that. Now, when they see that, they'll give it some serious consideration, maybe. Whoa! What's happening out there? That'll impress them a whole lot more than you and I can. You know what you and I trying to tell them to come out here does? It plants their heels in the ground. Quit it! I've said that to people over and over and over, and they won't do it. They keep pushing their kids. Why? Listen to Scripture. Listen to what God tells you. I hope you wrote those down. When you start getting all bumfluxed, go back and read these and see what they say. And say, ah, okay, that hasn't happened yet. So there's nothing to worry about yet. We don't have to worry about the news. We don't have to worry about the Ukraine. We don't have to worry about Washington, D.C., the time to be concerned is when we see these scriptures happening with our eyes focused on God. And when this happens, people whom you would not have even thought 
would listen will be stirred by God to come and build the temple. It's all about God and what He's going to do. He's going to take care of these other people. He's going to take care of them in the same way on a spiritual level He took care of the church. What do you see left of it? Not much. Same way with the Gentile nations. He said it in Isaiah 29. We just read it. And I wanted to use it as a jumping off place to show what God is going to do. And 9.24 is a representation of that. When he begins to turn his face again to the church and bless it from this day and upward. So that date is in Scripture and it has meaning. Now, whether that date is being used as a type of some other day he's got picked out in January or some other time, that's okay. But it's not the timing specifically that is our concern. It is our spiritual condition in watching these scriptures and seeing him begin to do his wonderful work. The Northern Army is going to do its wonderful work, and then he's going to smash them in the head. We don't need to worry about them. Yeah, we're to watch and pray always, what? That we be accounted worthy to be delivered from this. It isn't watching the world with all of our attention, and I could give a sermon and prove this with all the places it says watch. The reason to watch is to find God. And the reason to watch the world as the leaves come on the trees is to begin to see that these scriptures are being fulfilled. But you don't have to act on certain things until God says they are and shows the church and stirs some and then they begin to come. Now we got action. Now it's time. And he will take care of it. So we don't have anything to worry about. He's already brought us to a place where it won't matter if the power goes off. He's brought us to a place where we've prepared and have some food set back for however long it takes till he begins to do the blessings of much cattle and the honey, I mean milk and wine without cost. He's going to take care of us. But there may be some overlap where we'll be glad we got something in the larder. 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 That's not even food, is it? In the pantry, then. And we know he's going to take care of us. That's the bottom line. And if we have absolute trust and faith that it's going to happen this way because that's what the Scripture says, then we can watch what's happening in the world to some degree, but not be all stirred up and frustrated about it and afraid to go out of the door because it might be happening right now. I would not be afraid... To go to Hawaii, I would not be afraid to go to Paris. That's getting a little close to the action. I wouldn't be afraid to travel. Because these things haven't happened yet. I see a big cloud in the distance. I see it's coming. But I'm not afraid to go anywhere I decide I want to go. Now, I'm getting afraid to go a lot of places. Because there's a lot of turmoil. But I don't feel like I have to be right here because these things haven't happened yet. And I don't see people coming yet. 
And I haven't seen the signs and the wonders and the blind and the deaf and the halt being taken care of yet. And when I see that, I want to be right here, dead center, right on it. Because I see that's God starting to work. And if these people out here who see it and hear it are not to make haste and they have time to get here ahead of it, if I'm on a trip to Alaska, then I have time to get back. I don't have to worry about it. Because they're not making haste. Now, I'll get here as quick as I can because I want to be here when they come. And we may have enough warning ahead of time that this is about to happen, that we can be sure and be here. But let's not panic. Let's not have our finger hovering over the button all the time, because we trust God, and we know He'll do it the way this book says it. And we just read several scriptures which say, don't come in haste, do it ahead of time, get out before it happens, and he will do his wondrous work before it happens, so that people have time to get here before it hits. He's promised us that. He's promised them that. They don't even know where to go today. They have no clue today. Until they see God doing miracles, they will have no clue. And then he's going to stir them to come because they've seen something. Not because we rattled at them that they ought to be here. And we don't know who he's going to stir to bring and who he's not anyway. He is the one who knows that. And you're being presumptuous if you try to stir people to come ahead of time. Because he says, I'm going to stir them. So if I go out there and I say, well, I'm going to stir them. I'm going to get them here. Aren't you trying to take the place of God? Better be careful. Presumption is as witchcraft. He will call them who he wants, when he wants. Might be some of my kids, might be some of your kids. Might not be any of my kids. I don't know. They may have to wait until the second resurrection. They'll get their chance. I believe that. I know that. I trust God with that. And he loves them more than I do. So he's going to take care of them, either in this first round or the next one. Actually, three. Now, or the millennium of the great white throne judgment. He's got three places he can work with them. And he knows the best place for each one of them. So who do we think we are getting ahead of God? I haven't put it quite that way before. But I think we need to pay heed to presumption and just be humble and meek and try to do our part and set an example for our kids and keep our big fat mouths shut. Because all we do is turn them away. Now with somebody you know, I mean some of you came into contact out here through somebody else. And if we talk about, they ask us questions, well where are you? Well why are you there? Well, you might tell them a little bit, but then you don't start getting on your hands and knees and pleading them for to come now or you're going to die. No. Answer their questions. If they want more, they'll ask you more. If they don't, they didn't want to know more. Read Isaiah 29 again and they'll say that they don't, they're confused, they're in the dark, and God put them in the dark. So who do you think you are to try to wake them up when God put them to sleep? 
He'll wake them up when he gets good and ready. Meantime, we need a zipper. I know he tells the two witnesses, don't even you go around the world. Measure the church, the altar, and then the worship there. That's where he stops it with them. And if we're not them, who do we think we are trying to do what he told even them not to do? I don't want to be on radio and TV. Not right now. Not unless God says go there. But right now, to me, he silenced everybody when he silenced those two. And then he'll tell them when it's time to go speak. And that'll be when the temple is defiled. And not until. So, don't worry about it. <coughs> he'll take care of it when the time comes. Am I over time? I guess. That's all right. Because now, we can have our potluck late. And then we can, about sundown, we can sing some songs because tonight at sundown begins the festival of dedication. Or as the Jews call it, the Feast of Lights. And, uh, well, we've temporarily got lights on of our own doing, but uh, then they just had the candles. And the lights may come back on, but at least we've compacted this and we can go from here to potluck. And then we can sing our hymns like we normally do and go home having kept the Sabbath and the first night of Easter dedication.